So here we are in Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 4. Toward the tail end of Romans chapter 3 is where we uh, find one of those landmark scriptures that teaches us about the gospel. The apostle Paul was just an amazing communicator of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He had a way of explaining who Jesus is, what Jesus did, what that means for the Jew and what that means for the Gentile and what that means for people who live in Los Angeles, California in 2022. The apostle Paul was a gifted teacher and he, he taught toward the tail end of Romans chapter three uh, as he was making a case over the first few chapters for the wages of sin is death But the gift of God is eternal life, right? He he says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, So Paul's making this argument, building up, because essentially in chapter 1 and chapter 2, he's reminding everybody, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you were born and raised in the church, the synagogue or the temple, or whether it's your first time ever opening a sacred scripture, whoever it is that you are, right, here's the bad news, we are tainted by this thing called sin. And then he's slowly building a case to say, but the good news is all of us, regardless of who we are and regardless of our background and story and and life and mistakes that we've made, all of us have access to the same Jesus. So chapter three is making that case and saying, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Of God. So that's where we pick up on when we get into Romans chapter 4. So let's read the first few verses of Romans 4 this morning. Um, Paul says, What then shall we say that Abraham our forefather discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Look what verse 4 says. Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but is... uh, To the man who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited to him as righteousness. So we're getting into this new uh, stage in Paul's argument as he's trying to explain uh, the effects of sin. And he's trying to explain how we are justified, how we are made righteous in the eyes of God. He's making a case throughout the end of chapter 3 that we are not justified in the eyes of God based on anything that we're able to do. We're even reminded in the chapter before that even our righteousness is like filthy rags. Even on our best day, we fall short. Even when we think we're, we're a saint and we're doing all the right things, there are still things in our heart that need to be worked out. So Paul, Paul's making a case, y'all need Jesus, right? And let, let me make that inclusive. We need Jesus, Every single one of us is in need of Jesus. We can't make it to heaven based on our good works. We can't make it into salvation based on how nice we are or the good things that we do. Don't get me wrong. We should be nice and we should do good things. But those things are not going to earn us salvation. Paul says not even what family you were born into is going to earn you salvation. 
Whether or not you were raised in the church is not going to earn you salvation. Whether or not, you know, he uses a term that's specific to this Jew-Gentile relationship. Whether or not you were circumcised is not going to guarantee anybody salvation. He says, but faith in Jesus is what will declare you and I righteous in the eyes of God. In the eyes of God. Have you ever received a gift that you did not deserve? Like, and what I mean is like when it's not your birthday, sorry, Camille, right? When it's not Christmas, because there's these certain times of the year where you kind of expect a gift. Let's just be honest, right? Some of you in here are really humble and you're like, Pastor Kobe, I never expect a gift, right? I'm like, you lying, you lying. You know when it's your birthday, you, you, you're expecting something, right? Because then you feel bad at the end of the day if like that one person didn't call or text or if you didn't get that special treat or dessert, right? There, there are certain times of the year where we kind of have this expectation that there's going to be some kind of gift attached to it. Am I lying or am I telling the truth, right? If it's Mother's Day, don't lie, moms. You know you're expecting something, right? You're like, it either better be some chocolate, got better be some, some flowers, right? Or whatever, it better be a nice meal or something like that, right? If it's Father's Day... Let's just keep it real. You guys ain't expecting nothing. All right. We'll keep it real. We'll keep it real. Right? So I remember one time, it wasn't my birthday and it wasn't Christmas. It was just an ordinary day. And I was, I was actually in college. And in college, um, I was a student athlete. And I didn't have a job during college. So I had like just enough to exist. I know we had some college students up here just a little while ago, and they understand exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, I had like $10 in my pocket trying to figure out whether or not I'm going to put a little extra gas in my car or, or go hit up the dollar menu at McDonald's, right? Uh, I learned how to cut my own hair in college because I, I was too cheap, and I wasn't trying to pay somebody to cut my hair, right? I, I developed all these tricks and trades in college how to save money because I didn't have any money, right? Every once in a while, mom and dad would, would say, here you go, son. You can have a little spending money, and, and I would feel really blessed by that. But I didn't have a job. Um, in fact, a part of that, uh, that, that resource of learning how to cut my own hair, my brother taught me this trick when guys on my team would say, hey, I heard you cut hair. You know, so we'd make a little deal, and we'd barter, and I'd say, yeah, man, like, if you need a haircut, just bring me food. Like, bring me dinner, and I'll cut your hair. And that was like our, our agreement. So I, I, I earned my way into some food through, through my barber skills, right? Um, but, uh, but, but one particular day in college, I was uh, borrowing every family member's car that you could imagine, right? Everybody in my family who you all know probably let me borrow their car at least on one occasion when I was in college, right? I, I had my own car, and it, 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 uh, it, it just went bad on me because everybody drove it. It was my mom's, and then it was passed down like 18,000 times, and then finally got to me, and it went... It went dead. So then, uh, so the next thing you know, I'm driving like Mama Lisi's car and, and Ethel's car and my mom's car and my dad's car and my brothers, both of them had cars. I was driving their car from time to time. And uh, finally, I had a, another car that, uh, that Chiquita, my, my older cousin, let me, let me drive. It was a, like a, a, a 1909, no, nah, maybe it was like in the 60s or something, uh, Volvo. And it was a tan Volvo, and, and it, it, the hubcaps fell off at some point in the last few decades, and it was all rusted out. It was, so, it was like a four-gear car, a stick shift car, manual. And uh, it was so loud when you were in there, you could not have a conversation, Right? 
and it smelled like gas all the time, which I didn't mind because gas smells kind of good other than the fact that I was recognizing every time I drove it, I was losing about 10,000 brain cells. But I love that car, man. And my friends in college, I went to APU, they all had nicer cars than me. Some of them had brand new cars. Misha knows what I'm talking about, right? But because all their cars were so nice, they enjoyed driving in my car because of how jacked up it was. It was like an experience for them. You had to roll your own window down with your hand. There was no button for it, right? It didn't have FM. It did have AM, right? Radio. Uh, It was an experience, right? Two doors, not four. So you had to kind of crawl in behind the other doors to get in. So people would be, hey, can we ride with you? Like, man, you guys are crazy. Why do you want to ride with me again? Anyway, there I was driving that car around from A to B, you know, just trying to get back and forth from the foothills to the uh, lower part of the L.A. basin. And, uh, And one day my parents came out. I think it was after a baseball game. They came to watch us play and they're like, hey, we want to come back and uh, hang out in your apartment for a little while before we head back home. So I'm like, okay, cool, come on over. And so we, we head back to the apartment complex. And uh, as we're pulling into the complex, um, you know, my dad comes out and he goes, hey, uh, you know the people that live in this apartment complex pretty well? And I was like, yeah, I know a lot of them. A lot of them are my, my friends. We all go to college here. And he was like, oh, because uh, somebody, somebody uh, they left their car wide open in the parking lot. And they left it running. He was like, I don't know what these Christian college kids are all about, but they're obviously not from Carson because you don't leave your car on and wide open and running in the middle of an apartment complex because it's going to be gone in a heartbeat, right? So I'm like, all right, well, let me go check it out, you know. So I go and I look around. I'm like, I don't recognize this car. I don't know really who it belongs to. It was like, a, 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 you know, this really nice, freshly painted car with tinted windows and an FM radio inside, not just AM you know, and, uh, and, and I'm like, oh, I don't know who it is. And my dad's like, well, look in, look in it, look, you know, check to see if somebody left like their, you know, their, their wallet or something so that you can identify them and call them. Finally, I'm like all up in this car, right? And my dad goes, he turns around and he goes, this is your car, son. And I was like, what? It was, it was still like 20 years old, but it was an upgrade from what I had before. Don't, don't start thinking it was like <laughs> fresh off the lot, right? It was fresh out the garage, but it was, it was looking fresh and it was smelling fresh. They put like 35 air fresheners inside it with the thing that said new car scent, you know, just to make it feel. It was better than what I had before. I was not expecting it. And I remember feeling in that moment, this car is awesome, right? All my friends were disappointed because I got rid of the other one. The, the one that I got was a little too nice for them, right? They were like, ah, oh, this is boring, man. You can, it's got a, automatic windows. We don't like your car anymore. But I loved it. And I remember feeling in that moment like, wow, that was so unexpected. You know, I wasn't expecting that. I didn't really have any money. And here I am driving in a nice car, uh, you know, and I, and I remember feeling really, really just happy thankful, right? Um, so here we, we, let's, let's connect what's taking place in Romans chapter 4. Paul uses this analogy as he's talking about faith and he's talking about righteousness and works. And he says, hey, let's think about it this way. Um, if you work really hard at your job, you kind of expect a paycheck, don't you? Right? Has any, raise your hand if you've ever been shorted on your paycheck before on accident. They didn't pay you for the hours that you worked or a couple days, right? Um, Raise your hand if you didn't say anything about it afterward, right? There you go, see? 
right? As soon as you find out, like, wait a second, this is a few hundred less than what I was expecting. You know, you're going to go to human resources, right? You're going to knock on the door and you're going to be like, hey, what's going on here? You said I, didn't, I wasn't here last week. I was here last week and I'm still tired from last week. So I, I want to see the, the hours from last week on my paycheck, right? Uh, because when you work for it, you earned it. Somebody say, I earned it, right? And you deserve it because that's your job. You worked hard. You get paid, right? Um, and, and so what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 4 is none of us have worked hard or earned the salvation that we've been given through Jesus Christ. So he's saying stop acting like a worker who has, you know, punched in and punched out because no matter how much good you have done, you cannot earn your way into heaven. Cannot work your way into heaven. It's a gift. Somebody say a gift. Yeah. It's something that you and I were not expecting. It's something that we did not deserve, but God still looked toward us and say, even though you don't deserve it, even though you haven't earned it, even though you haven't been able to work to get it, I am giving you the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ by placing your faith in him. That's the gift of God. So, so we ought to have that kind of like uh, expression when we recognize that God has given us this gift and that we didn't earn it. It ought to make us all of a sudden say, thank you, Jesus, for the gift that you've given me. Thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, God, for training me and teaching me how, how not to think that I could earn my way into heaven, but you've done it for me by virtue of your death and resurrection. Now I have the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, right? Nobody should walk around like, oh, thank you, Jesus, you, you did it, you, thank you um, for, for Easter and all that good stuff. You're, um, yep. No. Again, it ought to be something in us that, that we're just, we can't forget the gift of God through Jesus Christ. We can't forget the fact that there's no way that we could earn and deserve what God has given us and invited us to, right? There's no way that we could possibly, possibly imagine what it's like to, to fully be given this. So, so Paul is saying here, um, what shall we say then? Verse, verse, let's look at verse 2. Abraham was justified, uh, if, if Abraham was justified by works, he would have something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So here we are. Let's look to see what Paul's talking about. He's referencing Abraham. He's talking about Genesis chapter 15. So let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 15 and see what Paul's actually talking about. Flip with me, if you will, or scroll with me or whatever, um, back to Genesis chapter 15 so that we could take a look at what Paul is referencing um, as he's referring to what Abraham did and what he didn't do and why that's important for the way in which we understand the gospel. So Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. If you don't know where Genesis is, just go to the beginning of the Bible. The beginning. And if you go to the beginning of your Bible and it starts with Matthew, you got a New Testament, which is okay, but it's not going to help you for this portion of the sermon. But we'll have it on the screens, I believe, because our folks in the back are awesome. And I got thumbs up, so it is in fact the case. Let's look at it. Genesis 15, verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great 
reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So shall your offspring be. Think of this. Abraham's about 100 years old. He has no children. God gave him a promise. You're going to have children. Some of us, if we get in the flesh, we might think, well, should have happened about 60, 70, maybe 80 years ago, God. Why have to wait 60, 70, 80 years for your promise to come true? But God takes him outside and he says, Abraham, I want you to look up in the sky and I want you to see all the stars. Believe it or not, if you live in L.A., there are stars in the sky. They exist, right? And they're not all just satellites um, or SpaceX rockets flying across the sky. There's actual real stars that are up there, right? Um, And and, and Abram says, take a look. See if you can count them. That's going to be as numerous as your descendants will be. God tells Abram something he couldn't believe. I don't know if God's ever told you something that you couldn't believe. If God's ever given you a promise that was hard to see. If God's ever given you something that said, hang in there, you might not see it just yet, but put your trust in me because I'm a good God and I can do amazing things. I can do miracles. I make things that are unseen seen. I'm a God who is a man of his word. And so whatever it is that I say will come true. I don't know if you've ever received a promise from God, even though the evidence of that promise was hard to, and, and, and difficult to see. Abraham was kind of wrestling with God a little bit and saying, man, Lord, I don't have any descendants. So when I'm dead, one of my servants is going to have to take over my estate and all of my belongings and my name and my lineage. I have no one in my own lineage to give all of this blessing to. And God says, come outside with me real quick. Let's have a talk. God ever said that to you before in your life? Hey, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's get some fresh air. Let's step outside for a second. Let's look at things a little differently. You've been been dropping your head and looking at your toes because of how depressed and discouraged you are based on how life has been going. But lift up your chin and look up, God says to Abram. Stop looking at the ground. Look up. You see all these stars? Those represent the blessing of your descendants that I'm getting ready to give you. So look what happens then in the next verse, and this is the verse that Paul is referring to in Romans chapter four. Verse six of chapter 15 says, Abram, can somebody read it? Is it up there? Abram what? Believe the Lord. Somebody say believe. Believe Believe is a strong word, isn't it? When we say Abram believed God, right? It it didn't say Abram heard God. It didn't say Abram understood God. It didn't say Abram continued in his conversation with God. No, it said Abram what? Believe. That means that Abram believed that what God said is true. That means that Abram believed that what God said he would do, he would do. Abram believed the Lord. And he credited to him as 
righteousness. Abram believed the Lord and his faith, his belief, his trust, all of those words are synonymous in the scripture. Abram believed the Lord and his faith was credited. Somebody say credited. Meaning, he didn't already have his own righteousness, but God said, I'm going to credit you with righteousness. Because God's got plenty of righteousness to spare. Jesus has plenty of righteousness to spare. You don't have enough? It's okay. Jesus says, I got you. Somebody ever picked up your tab before because you didn't have enough? And they come up right beside you and they go, I got you, right? Don't worry about it. I love doing that in the grocery store, especially if I'm right behind somebody and I I can see that they're trying to pay with cash if they're a younger person or maybe a person with less means than I have and they put their items on the conveyor belt and they get to the end and, and then somebody runs their items across and they start bagging them and then they get to their last three and they say, hold on, let's run those through one at a time just to see if I have enough. I love those moments. Some of you are like, man, I got to go grocery shopping with you, Pastor Koba, right? But I, I love those moments because I, I wait there and they ring it up and they say it's going to be such and such. And, and right before they start saying, let me take a couple of those items back, simply what I say is, excuse me, can you put those back a little bit more? And then I put my items down with it. Don't worry about it. Hang tight. I got you, right? Because they, they, they were hoping they had enough, they realized they didn't have enough, and then all of a sudden they're able to walk away with everything they put on that belt. Because I know it's a little embarrassing to have to go take something back to the shelf, not knowing whether or not you had enough. So to spare them the embarrassment and to allow them to recognize, hey, if you thought that was cool, imagine the grace and mercy that God has for you. Because all I did was cover a carton of milk. That ain't nothing. A carton of milk and a loaf of bread ain't nothing compared to what Jesus has done for us. So the the scriptures here in Genesis are saying Abram didn't have enough righteousness, but God had plenty of it, and God gave him some. He gave him a loan, right, of righteousness because Abram believed God. That's how powerful faith can be. When Abram said, Lord, I'm old. I ain't got no kids yet. It's been a little discouraging, but you just told me I was going to have kids, and so for whatever reason, maybe I'm crazy, I believe you. And God said, I see your faith, Abram, and now, not just faith, I'm crediting your faith with righteousness. How cool is that? So righteousness, there's this word in Hebrew uh, that, that really, if we think about righteousness and justification, they all come from the same root word, which essentially means to be made right with God. To be made right with God. So Abraham was made right with God because he believed God. So Paul is picking up on that. Let's go back to Romans now. Go ahead and flip back or scroll back to Romans. And verse 3 is essentially quoting Genesis chapter 15. And it says, Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So his faith now became his righteousness. Somebody say, faith becomes righteousness. And Paul wants to make this case because a lot of the folks in Rome who were Jewish Christians particularly were listening to his teaching as he's writing this letter. And many of them felt that righteousness came through doing a whole bunch of good things or having the right last name or growing up in the right church. And as long as I had all those things aligned, then I would be righteous. And Paul is saying, no, righteousness does not come through trying to be good enough to earn God's righteousness. Righteousness comes through faith. In Jesus. Trust in God. 
Uh, for those who might not be aware, uh, there was this expectation for many of the Jews that you had to follow to a T, not just the Ten Commandments, but over 600 different laws that flowed out of the Ten Commandments that you had to check to see, make sure, making sure that you were doing those things precisely every single day of your life in order to earn your righteousness. And what Paul would say is, I've done all that and I still fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, since I've never earned uh, righteousness by virtue of how good I've been, I recognize that the only way to righteousness and being aligned rightly with God is through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So Paul says it, it, it's available. It's available through faith. So we see another term here over and over again in chapter 4. If we, as we read, the, we're not, we might get through the entire chapter, but if you read through the entire chapter, you'll, you'll recognize that there's this word referenced five times over and over again, and the word is promise. Somebody say promise. So Paul is referring to the promise that God gave to Abraham. What was the promise? We just read about it. The promise was, you're going to have numerous descendants, and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. There's this promise that God gives to Abraham. And then it says Abraham believed God, right? And then we see God actually fulfill his promise throughout the rest of, of the chapter of Genesis, right? He has a son, Isaac, and he has a son, right? Jacob and, and Joseph. And we see this lineage take place because Abraham believed God. And the promise was, hang in there, Abraham. You might not be able to see what I'm doing right now, but I'm still at work. Trust me, Abraham trusted him, and that was counted as righteousness as righteousness so let's look to see what's taking place let's look at verse 5 now of chapter 4 however to the man who does not work but trust God who justifies the wicked his faith is credited as righteousness David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him so then Paul says is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised so now here he is connecting this argument to essentially saying, let's look at Abram's life. Now when, when God promised him that he was going to have descendants that were more numerous than the stars, he had not yet experienced circumcision. So Paul is looking at this sequentially and he's saying, righteousness was given to Abraham before he was circumcised and before the law was given, which takes place in Exodus. In other words, righteousness with God comes first by faith apart from works of the law. So Paul's making this connection between the Old Testament and New Testament in the life of Jesus, essentially by saying, you're not going to earn heaven through the Ten Commandments only. You're not going to earn heaven through circumcision. You're not going to earn heaven through your ethnicity or your religion or tradition. You are going to have access to righteousness with God by trusting that what God has done through Jesus is enough for us. It's enough. Which is beautiful. Because that truth now, as we're reading this, is essentially saying every single one of us has been tainted by sin, but every single one of us has access to Jesus. There are global implications for what the cross means, Paul is saying. And it's the same for the Gentile, and it's the same for the Jew. That we all fall short, but we all have access to Jesus. And so he's referencing Abraham because Abraham is often called the father of the faith. Right? The father of our faith, one of our forefathers, 
who said yes to God, especially in the midst of a situation and circumstance where it looked like all he had was a bunch of no's. All right. Sometimes we face that in our life where everywhere we look, it's like, no. All right, I, I want a promotion. No. All right, I want to get my family back together. No. Oh, my, my, my marriage is kind of falling apart, and I'm hoping for it to come together. Uh, I really want to see uh, God at work in restoring this thing. And, and then all of a sudden, things start to happen. It doesn't look like it's coming together for my good, and we, we feel like it's a no again. And we're faced by no after no after no. And in the face of a bunch of no's, God says, Abram, do you trust me? And Abram says, all right, Lord, I trust you. I trust you with a yes, even in the midst of a whole bunch of no's. I'll say yes, Lord, and believe that by putting my trust and faith in you, um, I'll be able to see what you've promised. So, So God promises him, and Abraham believes, and that faith comes first before the circumcision took place, which essentially is Paul's way of exclaiming and declaring here that faith comes through, uh, uh, that righteousness comes through faith and not through works of the law. So let's look, let's, let's, let's skip down a little bit and let's look a little at what's taking place. Let's look at verse 13. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by the law are heirs, then faith has no value, and the promise is worthless, because law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, verse 16, so that it may be by grace And it may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all, which is pretty cool. Because prior to this statement in Romans chapter 4, there were those in the congregation in Rome who felt that half of them were heirs of Abraham and and the other half were not. Those who were Jewish were, those who were Gentile were not. And Paul makes the argument to say here, if you believe God, if you believe God, if you trust God, if you place your faith in God, if you believe who Jesus is, if you believe what Jesus has done is enough, if you believe that you are a sinner, but that, you, that, that God sent Jesus to come and deal with our sin, to reconnect us with the holy God, if you believe that his death covered your sins and my sins, if you believe that in his resurrection our sin was destroyed, conquered, all of that has now gone to hell with, with Satan, and if you believe that as, as by virtue of his resurrection we now have access to eternal life in Jesus if you believe those things Paul is saying now you are declared righteous right not not your ability to to fulfill every single aspect but your ability to say Lord I'm broken I can't do it on my own I don't know where I'd be right now but I'm thankful that somehow you threw me a rope because my fingers are getting tired on this cliff side. And it don't look good underneath me. And God says, it's okay. Your strength is running out, but I got plenty. And all of a sudden, it begins to pull us out from our mess. Pull us out from our confusion. Pull us out from our darkness and brokenness. 
Pull us out from our waywardness and wickedness. Pull us out from our habits and our addictions and our past. Pull us out from the thoughts and feelings that come along with my, the life that I've lived that has caused me to forget about and to not be able to see the goodness of God. God begins to pull us out and little by little begins to replace that with things like joy and hope and faith and love and compassion and mercy. So, so I want us to, to, let's take some time in this next section, because this next section is really good. The whole chapter's good, but this next section is really good. So if you've been falling asleep up until now, wake up right now. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so let's look at this section. It's powerful. It's powerful. It says, we just read, he is the father of us all. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed. The God who, li- who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Oh, come on. He's, Paul's starting to preach now. He was teaching, but now he's starting to preach. He says, Abraham's all of our father. All of us can call him one of our spiritual fathers. Right? By virtue of the fact that we've been invited to believe God, we've, we've been invited to put our faith and trust in God. And then Paul starts to explain what that means. He said, he believed in God, in whom, who gives life to the dead. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Who gives life to the dead. See, Abraham was arguing with God in Genesis saying, I ain't got no children. There's no life in my home. I haven't celebrated the birth of my own child, right? And so what he was saying here is God says, "Uh, you know what? Here, I'm going to bless you and and comes down and touches Abraham and touches Sarah. And all of a sudden now they have a child of their own. He says he gives life to the dead. So what are those dead things that we are walking around carrying? What are those things in us that are dead and dying? What what are those things in us that that we have started to lose hope in? Those things that have caused us to be discouraged, maybe even depressed, sadness and darkness, and it's coming over us and it's causing us to lose life. And all of a sudden, we recognize that by virtue of the fact that we are called children of Abraham, children of those who have faith and trusted in God, we have access to this God who brings life to dead things. We don't have to walk around like zombies anymore. We can walk around alive in Jesus. We don't have to walk around worried about what we don't have and what we didn't get and what didn't happen, but we can look forward and say, my God is still at work and he's bringing life out of death. He's bringing hope out of darkness. He's bringing faith out of despair and confusion. My God is at work. I love it because Paul says that's what Abraham is teaching us, that we serve a God who can bring life out of things that used to look dead, right? Isn't that what Ezekiel teaches us about in the Valley of Dry Bones? When he says, I looked over that, that valley and I saw nothing but bones, but then all of a sudden they started to come back together and then ligaments and then muscles and then skin and the things that used to be dead came back to life. Paul is saying we have access by faith to a God who brings life into the areas of our life that have been filled with nothing but death. And we can come and say, Lord, I believe you and I believe that you're at work and I believe that you're not done yet and I, I, I declare declare a life over this situation in my life right now. I declare that you are going to bring forth a living fruit. I believe that you are going to reawaken something in me that looked like it was about to die. I'm not going to let it die because you're a God who brings life from dead things. This is powerful, right? 
So Paul's saying, if you want to claim any kind of lineage, claim a lineage of Abraham through faith, because through faith, we recognize in there that all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit breathes new life into those of us who are believers and place our hope and trust in Jesus. It's not just about trying to checklist all the things that I'm doing right or wrong. We could read our Bible from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep. We could try to pray prayer after prayer, whatever it is that we might try to do. But if the Holy Spirit is not in us, waking us up, alive in us, speaking into us, changing the way we think, changing the way we see, changing the way we speak, act, changing the way that we walk. If we don't allow the Holy Spirit to come in and say, I'm not done with you yet. I'm changing your perspective because I want you to be able to see with my eyes and not with human eyes, not with fleshly eyes, if we don't allow God to come in and wake us up from the inside out, right, then we are not really heirs of Abraham, heirs according to faith in God. If we're just trying to do a checklist in our religion and make sure we look good in front of everybody else, then expect for our faith to be dead. But if instead we believe that our God is at work in us and around us, and he's still doing things, and he's got a plan for your family and for your community and for this neighborhood, if we believe that he is at work and alive, just like Paul says, if we believe that Abraham looked up at the stars and said, God, I don't see you yet, but I believe you. If we could be heirs of faith, heirs of Abraham through faith and not through works of the law, then we'd really be able to follow after what Jesus intends for us. It's not just about a checklist. It's not about circumcision, Paul says. It's not about your DNA and who your mom and dad was. If, if, if anything, is about your spiritual dad, who is Abraham, who believed God when it looked like there was no chance for him to see his own heir. But he trusted God. So trust is the, is the, the key to giving us the ability to allow God to align our lives with him. I believe you, God. Think about the opposite of that for a second. The opposite of that. When we don't trust God, what happens? We take matters into our own hands. When we take matters into our own hands, we sin because we're trying to do what only God can do. If we're, if we're looking for a relationship and we're in our 20s or 30s and we're single and we're trying to figure out, oh man, I, I really wish I had a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I really wish I was engaged by now or married by now. And all of a sudden we start taking matters into our own hands and saying, Lord, I know what your word says, but I think I'm going to go start this relationship with this person. Whether or not they know you doesn't matter to me. Whether or not they want to go straight from a first date into having sex and maybe moving in together doesn't matter to me. As long as I can take matters into my own hands and get myself a partner, that's what I really care about. It's, it's not trusting that God is already at work. When we don't trust God, we take matters into our own hands. And it's not just about relationships. It's about money, right? It's about, oh, okay, God, I, this, this is my dream for my own life. And, and I, Lord, rather than trusting that you're going to provide for me and take care of me and my family, I don't, I don't really know. So I'm going to go hustle over here and see if I can make a little extra money doing this one thing that may or may, may not be legal and right and ethical. Why? Because I'm taking matters into my own hands because I don't trust that God's going to provide. What happens when we don't trust God is we get ourselves into a whole bunch of trouble. But the opposite of that is saying, Lord, I trust you. God, I believe you. So God, I'm not going to try to take it into my own hands and do things that aren't right just because it's what I want. I'm going to do things your way, God, and trust that you're going to take care of me. Amen. Right? That's, that's the faith component. And so he's saying here, if we want to really be made righteous with God, it comes through faith, not through, through works. So let's look at this, this passage again. It says, 
It says, he, 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 in, him, in God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to dead things, and he calls things that are not as though they were. Oh, this is a powerful scripture. He calls things that are not as though they were. He calls things that are not as though they were. This is a, a powerful scripture in learning how to believe in God, to have faith in God, to trust in God. Uh, if you are in Christ, the Bible says you are a brand new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have been made new. That means old ways of thinking, old ways of acting, old ways of living our lives. All that stuff needs to be left behind and we need to have a new way of life. What's that new way of life? Trusting and believing that God is at work and he's not done yet. So, so by... Almost by default, scripturally and theologically, there should not be any Christians who are pessimists. Negative, Nancy's. Or negative, what's the name that starts with an N? Ned. Ned. <laughs> Nathan. If we're Christians, that means we ought to say, Lord, I don't see it yet. But I'm going to graduate from this program. Lord, I don't see it yet, but I believe you're working something out, and pretty soon I'm not going to have to worry whether or not I can afford rent next month. Lord, I don't see it yet, but I believe you have somebody that you want me to, to, to be married to and to, to raise a family to glorify your name. Lord, I, I, I don't see it yet. So we see this pattern. He says he calls things that are not as though they were. So I want to encourage you, Mission Ebenezer, begin to put this scripture into practice by essentially saying, Lord, I believe that you're at work. Lord, I believe that you are good. God, I, 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 I'm putting my trust and my hope in you, just like Abraham did. And we get this opportunity to say, Lord, I'm going to believe, even though I'm, they're not, I believe that they will be in Jesus' name. So look at verse 18, another powerful, I mean, Paul is preaching, against all hope. Abraham in hope believed and, and so became the father of many nations. He says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. I love that. There's resilience in faith. There's not giving up in faith. There's, I'm going to get up and try it again in faith. It's, I might have messed up yesterday, but my God is still good. His mercies are new every morning. I'm not giving up. And I'm going to get up one more time and say, Lord, give me strength to get through today and help me to be right with you today. Help me not to be distracted or tempted by anything else, but I want to live for you today. And no matter what I did over the last 20 years, I believe that with your help, I could be different today. And from this point forward, walk in righteousness with you because I believe that you are good. And I believe that what you've done on the cross for me is enough. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed God. This is powerful stuff. says verse 19 without weakening in his faith he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God there goes that word again promise but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. 
The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Praise be to God. Righteousness then comes through faith in Jesus, not through works of the law. Paul says, Abram believed God before he was circumcised. Therefore, before the law even came, he already had a believing relationship, trusting relationship with God. And it was through that trust that God said, Abram, you are righteous. Anybody wants to be righteous in the eyes of God today, the first step is to say, Lord, I believe you. God, even though it might be hard for me to trust, maybe you grew up and in your home, it was hard for you to trust anybody. Can I just keep it real before we close this morning? Maybe, maybe you've been let down too many times by people who you should have been able to trust. And maybe that's created a little bit of difficulty in your heart to learn what it's like to really believe and trust. Like, I should have been able to trust that person. They let me down. I should have been able to trust them. They let me down. Therefore, I'm not too sure if I have a trust muscle still in my body. But I want to tell you, if that's you today, God is unlike anybody that you have ever experienced before in your life. He's better than any, the best of dads, and he's better than the worst of dads. He's better than dads who are there every second, and he's better than dads you've never met before. He's better than any boyfriend or girlfriend that you've ever had. He's better than any grandparent or sibling that you've ever had. Don't compare the goodness of God and your ability to trust him with anybody who's let you down before. God will never let you down. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. In fact, not only will he never let you down, but he's committed to joining you in those areas of your life that still need healing based on your inability to trust, and he's going to help you to learn how to trust again. Not just him, but others around you. Why? Because he could do miracles. Why? Because he speaks life into dead things. Why? Because in hope, against all hope, in hope, we're able to say, Lord, you can do it. So if you've had tr issues with trust before, um, if there's anyone you can trust, it's your creator. It's the one who gave himself on the cross for you and for me. He wanted nothing from us. He didn't do it manipulatively but he gave his life selflessly. He didn't have to do it. We didn't earn it at all. We didn't work one day for it. And yet the gift is available through Jesus. What a gift that is. Amen. If you're able and willing, would you please stand with me this morning and close in a word of prayer. So the theme of chapter four of Romans is that righteousness or being right with God, being aligned with God comes through Faith in God comes through faith. Lord, I believe you. Lord, I trust you. Uh, Lord, I believe that even though I can't see what it is, maybe there's something right now in your life that you're carrying with you that is kind of like that, that, that big burden on Abraham's shoulders in Genesis 15. He's like, God, you gave me a promise in chapter 12, three chapters ago, and yet I haven't seen any evidence of that promise just yet. Maybe there's a situation in your life where there is a burden, kind of like Abraham's, where you're like, Lord, I'm not seeing it. This is a need that I have, and I'm not seeing it just yet. 
First of all, like Abraham, it's okay to have a conversation with God and say, Lord, I don't see it. God's not offended by the fact that you, in fact, if anything, he just likes that you're having a conversation. And then from there, he says, all right, Abraham, I know, I know you ain't seeing it just yet, but I'm, I'm working. I'm doing it. And maybe there's a situation in your life where you need to be able to say, God, even though it's hard, I'm challenged this morning to get out of whatever it is that I'm facing and to say, God, I believe you're at work. Lord, if you promised it, you're going to do it. Because you're a good God. I'm going to learn to start putting my trust in you. In spite of what we see, in spite of what we experience, in spite of maybe ways in which we've been let down in the past. Don't allow that to hold you back from saying, Lord, I believe you. I believe that you're enough. Jesus, I believe that you're enough. I don't need Jesus plus money. Jesus plus relationship. Jesus plus a clear vision for my future. Jesus plus all these other kinds of things that we often think we need. But, but if we just say, Jesus, I trust and believe that you're enough. What you've done for me is enough. I put my trust in you. I put my faith in you. I put my belief in you. God, I believe that what you said you were going to do, you are going to do without a shadow of a doubt because you're a good God. It was at that moment in Genesis 15 that God said, because Abram believed him, it was credited to him, credited to him as righteousness. So Lord, we pray this morning that It wouldn't just be all the things that we think we need to do to earn your praise or your attention or our worth. It's not in how good we can be or trying to follow a certain number of things, but you teach us here through Romans chapter four that the first step is just saying, I trust you, God. I trust that you're good. I trust that you know what's best for me. I trust that you're powerful enough. I trust that you're loving enough. I trust that you're faithful enough and present enough. So Lord, would you build in us the capacity to trust, the capacity to believe that what we don't see will come when you've promised it. Teach us, Lord, and give us the strength to fight through those doubts that cause us to want to take back control and remove our trust and to say things like, I don't trust anybody. Soften our hearts to be able to say, God, I believe you. I believe you, Lord. I'm not going to give up on that situation yet because I believe you. I'm not going to call that dead yet because I believe you. I'm not going to call that hopeless yet because I believe you. Uh, So we want to have faith like Abraham, faith that declares us righteous in your eyes by virtue of what Jesus has done for every single one of us, regardless of who we are and what we have come from or come through. You are good, you are faithful, you are loving, you are powerful, and you are enough. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people say, amen. God bless you, church.